0: Chapter 5 Hanging Gardens. Oh no, not you again, Dipple groaned, finding himself face to face with a lion bodied woman made of stone. The statue did not move or respond, however, and after a moment, Dipple realized it was a lot smaller than the sphinx he had met in Egypt just a statue this time. Looking around, all Dipple could see were trees, shrubbery, and more statues. He was obviously in some sort of garden. But where? Bernie? He'd need her help to figure out where he was this time. When Bernie did not respond immediately, Dipple started to explore his surroundings. After a moment, he came upon some steps made from white limestone, flanked by column-stone balustrades. Following the stair upward, he found himself on a terrace overlooking the garden he had just come from. Below that garden, several more gardens stepped downwards in a series of flat terraces, each jutting out further than the one above, the squareness of the structure hidden beneath a riot of trees, shrubs, climbers, and other greenery. Turning, Dipple saw that several more tiers, growing successively smaller, rose above his current location. Stone pathways meandered through the gardens above and below, and a set of wide stone steps led from each level up to the next. The stairways were neither connected nor in line, so it'd be impossible to take a direct route from the top garden to the bottom. Nestled among the greenery, to the left of where Dibble stood, looking downwards, a long stone trough ran from a canal-fed lake below the bottom garden all the way to the top. What looked like a continuous metal spiral ran the length of the trough, its constant screwing motion dragging water ever upwards to nurture the topmost layers of the garden. So, they did exist then, breathed Dibble. Who was starting to get an idea of where he might be. I see you managed to bungle retrieving the ring yet again, Bernie said suddenly. Bernie, where have you been? I had washing to do. Washing? You know, laundry. Someone has to do it. Your robes don't clean themselves. Hmm, thought Dipple. Still cross, then. Probably not a good time to point out that he had a perfectly good robe-cleaning spell that Bernie would not let him use. For some reason she liked doing his washing for him. When she wasn't mad at him, of course. And since you seemed to think you had everything under control, I thought I'd leave you to it. Haven't I been gone for hours? I checked on you from time to time. I figured you'd turn up some time. Well, it's nice to hear your voice, my dear, Dipple said in conciliatory tones. So, what happened this time? This time? Well, since you are no longer in Troy, I assume you got the ring and then dropped it again. Hole in my pocket, Dipple mumbled. One you had failed to magically repair, apparently. Well, she couldn't be too cross if she still had the spirit to be sarcastic. I suppose you want to know when and where you are. Er uh, That would be good, yes. I seem to be in some sort of garden, at a guess, I'd say Babylon. You are in what is now known as Northern Iraq, in about 700 BC. Nineveh, then, not Babylon. What? Well, the place people think of as the Babylon of old was located in what is now central Iraq. So? The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which is where I believe I may be, were thought to have been in that city if they existed at all. I thought they were just a myth. No one really knew for sure, but I have read one theory suggesting the gardens did exist, but not in Babylon. So they were meant to be in this... Nineveh? That's right. This is all very interesting, Dipple, but aren't you meant to be looking for something? Oh, er, right, yes, the thing that got him into this mess. Well, you did say it was dangerous, so shouldn't you get to it? Uh, Of course. With a sense of panic only Bernie could rouse in him, Dipple glanced desperately about, wondering where he might start looking for a ring in a garden. He almost forgot, for a moment, that the ring was not actually a weapon of mass destruction. While talking to Bernie, Dipple had wandered deeper into the garden, and he now found himself in a secluded area that, though still beautiful, had an unsettling feel to it. For one thing, most of the plants here could be used as poisons, if you knew what you were doing. Startled by a whooshing sound above his head, Dipple looked up to see a man dropping toward him, wearing a leather harness and dangling at the end of a rope, which, in turn, hung from the sturdy branch of a huge walnut tree growing on the level above. "'You should not be here, friend,' the man said in a quiet voice. Beneath the harness, he wore a short-sleeved tunic patterned all over in a colourful, geometric design with an equally colourful shawl flung over his left shoulder, held in place, front and back, by a belt at his waist. His grubby feet, knees and fingernails marked him as someone who worked in soil, a gardener, most likely, given their current location. This is the private garden of Lord Katmu. It is death to be found here. Did you not see the warning signs? Uh... Following the line of the man's pointing finger, Dipple approached a square stone pillar which, on its far side, facing out of the garden toward the path, was engraved with the image of a walking human form set inside a circle and crossed with a diagonal line. Looking along the path, he saw several more of the pillars, marking the border of this private area. He must have wandered right past these no-entry signs while talking to Bernie. Just then, Dipple felt a slight tingling on his skin that told him another wizard was close by. Stepping back to where the man still dangled, he asked, "'This lord, good at potions, is he?' "'I have seen him pick herbs one would not want to put in a stew,' the gardener agreed, his voice dropping to a whisper as the sound of footsteps reached them. "'Come,' the man said, holding out a hand to Dipple. "'We must not be discovered here.' Er, Dipple hesitated a moment, wondering if the contraption would hold both of them. And then it was too late." A tall man strode into the garden, dressed in a richly embroidered, ankle-length tunic of dark indigo. Two shawls were wound about his upper body, outside the tunic, to form draping robe-like sleeves, held in place at his waist by a wide, brown belt, precisely positioned behind a second, narrower, red belt. The tunic and shawls were bordered with heavy, tasseled fringes. On his head, the man wore an embroidered felt fez, and on his face, he wore a grotesque bronze mask. The mask was blank and featureless, but somehow this made it more disturbing than any evil shape it might have taken. It covered the man's face from below his chin to the top of his forehead, leaving a small glimpse of black hair below the rim of the fez. His remaining hair was tied securely behind his head, so as not to soften the starkness of the mask. The man gave a nonchalant flick with the long, slender fingers of his right hand, and the rope from which the gardener hung was severed, dropping him to the ground. This had best not come down to a wizard duel, thought Dipple, who was not good at dueling at the best of times, and who, though five hundred years closer than he had been in Troy, was still a long time away from the Radix, and did not have anywhere near the strength needed to match this sorcerer, whose own source of power would be close at hand. Dipple hurried to help the gardener up. The man clambered distractedly to his feet, staring at the lord with the stunned look of someone who had never seen anyone do magic before. What a pleasant surprise, the lord said coldly, to find guests in my private garden. Like Dipple, he should be able to sense the presence of another wizard, but he gave no indication he was aware of Dipple's powers. Technically, Dipple suggested, this chap wasn't in your garden until you cut his rope. I am the trespasser. Why not let him go? His duty was to inform me immediately of your intrusion the man looked upon the gardener with cruel and knowing eyes, not to warn the intruder. Er, my lord, he is a stranger, the gardener pleaded. I thought... Silence! Thought is not a function I require of you. You have now both seen what none can be allowed to know, he continued. So, you must die. But how? He set a long, slender finger against the chin of his mask his thoughtful tapping clicking like the ticking of an ominous clock. "'I do need subjects to test my latest... experiment,' he said after a moment. The dark emphasis he put on the last word suggested the testing would be a lot different from any experiment Dipple had ever conducted. The man glanced suddenly at the western horizon, and the swollen sun hovering not far above. "'I must add the Belladonna route before sunset,' he muttered. "'Belladonna route?' That couldn't be good. You have wasted too much of my time already, the lord said more loudly. You will wait in my cellar until I am ready to deal with you. Come. He ushered them toward the rear of the garden, to a point where the outer edge of the terrace one level up loomed above them. Up close, Dipple could see the upper terrace was supported on a series of thick stone walls running toward the back of the garden. The spaces between these walls formed narrow galleries, most of which were open at the front, allowing the slanting rays of the late afternoon sun to filter in through a screen of climbing plants that hung down from above. Behind a curtain of sweet-smelling clematis, a front wall had been set in place between two of the supporting walls. In the centre of this wall stood a solid stone door with a large keyhole. From a hook on his belt, the Lord produced a large ornate metal key, which until now had been hidden beneath the drape of his sleeve. The link used to hang the key on the hook was a small gold ring. Gads, that's going to be tricky to get hold of this time, Dipple thought. The door grated open to reveal a hollow cavity beneath the upper terrace. Cold stone walls and a ceiling of tightly fitted palm trunks stretched back into darkness. That was all Dipple saw before the door slammed with a hollow boom, shutting out all light. My name is Ikaru the gardener spoke over the sound of the key grating in the lock. "'I saw you from the garden above,' he continued. "'I came to warn you, but I was too late, and now we are both trapped in here.' "'I wonder,' said Dipple, as the lord's footsteps died away. He probed the lock with a trickle of magic. "'Drat!' Dipple could have used magic to move the metal mechanisms of an ordinary lock, but the door had been fastened by more than a mere key turn. So, the man had sensed Dipple's power after all. It would take more magic than he currently had available to unravel the other wizard's spell. Well, since we're stuck in here, might as well rest our legs. I feel as if I've been on my feet for days, and I imagine you'd done a fair day's work before you had the misfortune of trying to help me. Dipple sat down and pulled off his boots. He'd been too busy arguing with Leontius and Troy to think of taking them off then and his feet were still sore from the long, hot walk in Egypt. Sorry, he apologised. Bit whiffy, I'm afraid. Can't be good for your feet stuck in those things all day, said the gardener, who had been barefoot when Dipple met him. Tucking his boots carefully away inside his robe so as not to lose them in the dark, Dipple began to hunt about in his pockets. I'm sure I've got some of my fabulous foot freshener in here somewhere. Gats, I'm hungry he exclaimed, forgetting the foot freshener as he came upon the half-eaten loaf of bread he'd pilfered from the tomb in Egypt, and suddenly realizing he hadn't eaten since the Spartan meal of salted fish, cheese, bread and dates he'd shared with Leontius as they played Patea. That must have been nearly two days ago now. Feeling for one of Ikaru's hands in the dark, Dipple pressed a chunk of bread into it. It's a tad stale by now, but the places I've been have been pretty hot and dry, so it shouldn't be moldy. So, why does this lord of yours wear a mask? Dipple asked as they chewed. Some say he was burned. Mask? Dipple's earpiece buzzed. Didn't the Sphinx say something about a mask? An image of the Sphinx popped into Dipple's mind. Beware the masked one, she purred. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. No surprises there, Bernie put in helpfully. That can't be good especially as this chap is a wizard. What? the gardener asked. Oh, uh, nothing. Sorry, you were telling me about the mask. Some say he was burned in a fire as a child, the man repeated. Others say he is a demon and must hide his face from the world. And what do you think? He is a cruel and harsh man, but, though I have just seen him use unnatural powers, I believe he is still just a man. As for the mask, I think he wears it to make himself appear more frightening. Nothing creates fear like the unknown. You're very sage for a gardener. Just because my body labours does not mean my mind must remain idle. While the fingers work, the mind is free to ponder the larger questions of life. My wife says that about housework. I'd still rather read a book. My mind is the only book I am privileged to know, said the gardener. What were you doing in there, anyway? He added suddenly. Uh, where? The garden, of course. Oh, right. Well, I was looking for a ring, actually. A ring? In a garden? I know. Needle in a haystack and all that. Still, I wish it were that simple. Unfortunately, I have found the ring. I just don't know how I'm going to get it. So what you're saying said Bernie with her usual intuition, is that this masked wizard has the ring which could destroy the world? Pretty much, muttered Dipple. Perhaps he should come clean about the ring. He hadn't wanted to scare Bernie. Mind you, if she found out the truth now, she'd probably still kill him when he got home. Well, that's just great, isn't it? I hope you're proud of yourself. It's hardly my... It's your invention... "'And it was you who dropped it into time. "'If she didn't talk him to death first. (coughs) (coughs) "'Bernie, you're breaking up. (coughs) "'I can't hear you.' "'Did you say something?' asked Ikaru. "'Oh, uh, just trying to get rid of a pesky buzzing in my ear. "'Thoughts can be like that at times. "'Around here, it is safer to keep them inside your head.' "'Well,' said Dipple pulling two of his puffy porter pillows out of yet another pocket in his robes. We can't do much till this lord comes back, eh? He touched each pillow with a trickle of magic, causing it to inflate. Think I'll take a nap? Uh, you're not used to pillows, I expect, he added, finding Ikaru's hand and putting it on one of the pillows. You put your head on it. It seemed only a short time later when Ikaru shook Dipple awake. The lord returns. He whispered. As the door was dragged open, Dipple caught a glimpse of the sky outside, now almost as dark as the inside of the cellar. Several servants preceded the lord into the chamber. The first carried a pair of burning torches, flooding the small space with flickering light, causing Dipple and Ikaru to flinch from the sudden brightness. The man set the torches in two sconces by the door, bowing to the lord as he backed out of the chamber. The second set a small table in the centre of the floor before he too bowed himself from the room. The third carried a tray wafting an enticing aroma of spices. This he placed on the table, before scurrying after his companions. Eat, the lord urged, sweeping a generous arm toward the tray of food, his manner much friendlier than it had been earlier. So, was this the lord's threatened experiment? Dipple did not think so. If they were to be poisoned... This chap would want them to know it, their fearful anticipation adding to the pleasure of watching them die. Not you, the lord sneered as Ikaru made to move towards the table. Not poison, then, else why not let both of them eat? So what was he up to? Er, where I come from, it's rude to eat before others and not share, Dipple said. If he cannot eat, then I will not. Ah, very wise. The Lord said approvingly. You wish to use this expendable to test for poisons before you eat. No, that's not it at all, Dipple protested. Ikaru, I wouldn't ask that of you. Very well, the Lord continued, ignoring the interjection. If it helps you to trust me, then the traitor shall eat, though these delicacies are wasted on a peasant such as he. Dipple and Ikaru each scooped up some of the food in their fingers. Ikaru's eyes grew wide as he sampled the dish, which turned out to be thin slivers of truffle, cooked in butter and a blend of coriander, cumin, fenugreek, saffron and thyme, among other less familiar spices. Now, my friend, the lord said once they had finished eating, putting an arm around Dipple's shoulder in a gesture that should have seemed friendly, but instead made Dipple's body stiffen. I note you do not call me lord, and that is only proper, for we are equals. You may call me Katmu. What shall I call you? An old trick, Dipple thought, trying to gain power over an adversary by learning his true name. Dipple, what's happening? Hush, my dear, Dipple muttered. This once I need you to stop talking. But it was already too late. So, your name is Dipple, Katmu said. Thank goodness not even Bernie knew Dipple's true name. She had enough power over him as it was. "'And what is this?' the man asked, tugging Dipple's beard painfully as he dug beneath it to extract the pendant, which he could obviously see and hear. Er, "'With Dipple's powers limited by his distance from the radix, "'the invisibility spell, while sufficient to deceive anyone without magic, "'Ikaru, standing nearby looked completely bemused by their conversation, "'was clearly not strong enough to fool this wizard. "'I can see why you would seek to keep this beauty to yourself,' the lord added gazing at Bernie's face. To her credit, Bernie remained perfectly still, playing the part of a painted portrait admirably. Alas, Katmu did not fall for it. This, he said thoughtfully, is no mere pendant. Rather, it is proof that you are not of this time. Long have I suspected that with the right magic one might visit other times. You, I warrant, know the secret of this magic, and I would learn it from you. Uh well now dipple knew what the man was after at least yet you did not use your power to escape back into time your magic is weak here and so you are trapped perhaps i know a spell that will help you to move on it did not occur to the lord that dipple might have stayed to ensure ikaru was safe before he left he glanced at the gardener who was listening to all of this with undisguised interest It worried Dipple that Katmu spoke so freely in front of him. He clearly had no intention of letting the man live. We are the same, you and I. Men of our talents. Together, we could rule the world in your time and mine. In all time. Behind the mask, the lord's eyes grew bright with a hunger for power. Perhaps you would not wish to share this powerful spell with me until you see what I have to offer in return. Uh, So, my fellow sorcerer, Dipple imagined an evil smile lurking on the lips hidden behind the expressionless mask. We shall share spells and secrets in turn until, at the last, I will share with you one of my most secret spells and you will tell me the secret of time travel. The Lord rubbed his hands together. Let us begin. I shall share first, he said generously. So, friend, is there a spell you would learn from me? Dipple doubted he would want to know any spell this sorcerer might use, and he certainly didn't think it would be a good idea for this chap to be able to pop about in time. He decided to stall for time by asking a question Captain was not likely to answer. On the other hand, the man might just be greedy enough to overlook the danger of Dipple's request. Uh, that key of yours. Magic, is it? Can I see it? Ha! Do you think me a fool who would allow you to discover the means to escape? Before you share your secret with me? Worth a try, Dipple muttered. From the corner of his eye, he noticed the thoughtful look cross Ikaru's face. The ring? Ikaru mouthed, and Dipple nodded imperceptibly. Come, the Lord spread his arms expansively, there must be something you would wish to learn. Actually, there was something it would be useful to know, though it was doubtful Dipple would get an answer to this one either. Uh, in my time, Dipple said conversationally, magic is sourced from an enormous crystal. What is the source in your time? Another trick, Ketmu accused. You still seek a way of escape. We must work together, friend. It is the only way. The Lord was too busy with Dipple to notice the, to him, insignificant Ikaru slipping behind his back. Uh, perhaps you should just choose something to show me. Dipple suggested. Very well, Katmu agreed. I will show you. Ikaru reappeared on the other side of the sorcerer and sidled up to Dipple. This what you're after? Ikaru muttered from the side of his mouth. He slipped a cool metal object into the hand that hung at Dipple's left side. He was still touching Dipple's hand as the room began to dissolve. No! the lord shrieked, diving toward Dipple. Then they were all in the maelstrom of time. Dipple and Katmu each trying to wrest the key and ring from the other, Ikaru clinging to Dipple for dear life. A violent jolt sent Dipple's head banging into Katmu's chest, and in that instant, both let go of the ring. No! Katmu cried as Dipple swooped off after it. Hang on! Dipple called to Ikaru as they were swept away into time. Thanks for listening to this chapter of The Adventures of Dipple. If you're enjoying the story, you can support Josie by following one of the links in the podcast description.